So let's take a look at this set of pictures and these faces. If you were going to add a caption to describe what's going on inside those lives, what word or phrase would you use? Hurting? Sad? Troubled? Stressed? Afraid? Now look at this set of faces. Same question. If you're going to add a caption to describe what's going on inside of these lives, what words or phrase would you use? Healthy, happy, carefree, secure, contented? The truth is that appearances can be deceiving. Maybe it includes light just for a moment, but just by looking, none of us really have a clue what's actually going on inside any of those lives. The reality is that you and I know the world is broken. It's not as it should be. We've said that before. And nobody escapes that brokenness. As Wesley told Buttercup and the Princess Bride, life is pain, highness. Anybody who's just differently is selling something. There's a sense in which everybody hurts. There's a sense in which everybody is experiencing pain or discomfort at some level, whether it's physically or emotionally or socially or vocationally or relationally. Sometimes that pain and that struggle is acute and it's just right there. Sometimes it's kind of a dull ache. Other times it's just kind of nagging. We give our her different names. Some of us call it chronic autoimmune disease. Those of it call it just a disappointment of our dreams, maybe financial strain. Some of us might call it a hurt marriage failure or a marriage just there to exist. Maybe we would call it weariness. It just won't seem to go away. We might call it shame or guilt or something we've done before. We might call our herd the stress of being squeezed between raising our children and still meeting the needs of our parents as they age. We might call it learning disabilities. We might call it struggles with spiritual maturity or a thousand other things that we can name. And the reality is this, life on the planet just drains the tanks. Mind, body, and soul. There's no avoiding it. We're going to hit a point where our gauges are going to redline. We're going to feel it. Welcome to the human race. <laughs> it's just the way life is. And so every day, you and I who have our own sense of brokenness, our own sense of stuff we're dealing with, and uh, we'll, we'll deal with uh, other people who are surrounding us who are also hurting. Maybe at home with our family, or maybe their co-workers, or the neighbor across the cul-de-sac. And it's also the people who are sitting in these pews beside you every Sunday morning. I and mean, then we look Sunday morning good, right? You look marvelous. You look really good. But we lie over our coffee. We tell each other everything's fine, but the reality is there's a whole story of hard going on in lots of hearts in here, if not many of our hearts. So, welcome to Living Hope, the fellowship of the hurting and the struggling and the weary and the burnout and the broken and the messed up. <laughs> that ought to take some of the pressure off. That's just the way it is. It's just who we are. So, okay, so we're all a mess. And it's okay to be here if you're not okay. But we also 
that none of us want to settle down into our miserable. We want to move toward healing and wholeness. We want to get some sense of relief. And usually that's going to come from somebody else outside of us. And I don't know, what do you do when you meet somebody who's hurting? Kind of a natural response just to kind of lean in towards it. It's kind of a human thing to to do. We want to wipe away the tears. We want to make people feel better. We want to bring some sense of comfort. Even more, it's Christ-like to enter into people's hurts and to help them. Jesus did that all the time. He means for us to do the same thing because of Jesus' example and Jesus' commands. Those who are Christians love and care and help each other, help the world deal with our struggles and our pains. But there's one little tension point that I want to deal with today. And it's this, if I've got my own uncomfortable mess inside of me, with my life, my stuff I'm dealing with, whatever it is, how in the world am I supposed to help somebody else in their mess? Seems to me to be a little bit of a tension point there. And that's one of the challenges and one of the miracles of this thing we call the church, because we're a family, right? We're not just a collection of individuals. All year long, we're talking about the fact that we're, we're better together. And so as we consider this morning, as we're concluding this series, how we're serving it better together, we want to explore how even hurting people, like all of us here, even people caught in the brokenness of the world, can comfort one another better. And we're going to get at that by looking at, at the final words of 2 Corinthians, the letter of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13. So if you go ahead and turn there in your copy of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. If you don't have a copy with you, there's one in the view in front of you, a little black hardbound copy there. We'd love for you to follow along with us so you can see that what we're saying draws authority from the Scripture. I do find it odd that so much of our better together uh, consideration has come from these letters to Corinth because Corinth as a church was so jacked up. <laughs> it's so messed up. We read there's, a, there's this ongoing correspondence between Paul and the Corinthians, and there's we have First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, but there are actually four letters all together. And what we have the Second Corinthians, the fourth of those letters. And so in this second letter, Paul is wrapping up, kind of rapid fire thoughts. And so if you stand honor the reading of God's Word, as in Bede, he's going to come and read our scripture for us today. And we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. So let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another and greet one another and live in peace. And the God of love and peace be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Edison. Great job. So the question before us, how, how do we who have our own struggles, bring comfort to one another, comfort to other people. Well, the first thing I want you to see is this, is we comfort one another better when we rejoice to experience God's comfort. First word there, that, that chapter, he says this, rejoice. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. So finally, points back to what has come before, and, and in this case, it's the entire letter. I want you to rejoice over what you've experienced. Rejoice over what you've seen. Locate your joy in that. So throughout the letter, Paul's been telling us little bits and pieces of his story. And there's this common thread. Here it is. Life and mission for Jesus is hard. 
I'm weak and struggling, but God's faithful to comfort and to help and strengthen. And he says that over and over again. And we'll, we'll look through a couple of those this morning as we see this. But he sets the tone in the very first chapter, which you can kind of think of as a parenthesis at the other end of the book. So if you flip back to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, hold your place there, we're going to come back. We'll flip to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And beginning in verse 3, I want you to hear uh, what Paul writes here. Paul says, Bless me to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We do not want you to be aware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Now, what Paul does here is he's going to go back and say, okay, I learned this lesson. Let me tell you where I began to learn this. And he refers to this one specific situation of affliction or pain or hurt or struggle. Now, we're not sure exactly which one it was. But over in chapter 11, Paul says, let me tell you what I've gone through as I've tried to serve Jesus. He said, I've been imprisoned. I've had countless beatings. Three times I was beaten with rods, big, big wooden sticks like this, and they would just take it, just wail on them as they went through. Five times, he said, I had the 40 lashes. That was with the cat of nine tails, something they used uh, to, uh, to scourge Jesus the night before he was crucified, from which many men would die from loss of blood. Five times he went through that. He was stoned, and they used really big rocks because they wanted to kill him. Uh, he was in danger from his own people, in danger from enemies, that he had sleepless nights, he was without food. He spent a day and a night in the open sea. Paul is a man. <laughs> I mean, he has experienced this, and he stayed right in there in the middle of all that. But he said, at this moment, we experienced this, is what he says. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. We despaired. We were burdened. This particular situation was just about to crush us and take us out. But God delivered us. They said it was like raising the dead. It was a gospel miracle. It was like we went from Good Friday to Easter morning. And we have faith that God's going to do that again. We face another situation. That's the way God's going to act. Now, what did Paul learn from the middle of that? He tells in the first part of that paragraph that we read. He said, God's kindness comes to help us as a blessing, but it was never intended to stay with me. Look what he said back in verse 4. He said this, he comforts us in all our affliction or troubles, so that we may be able to help comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So notice what he says here. He says, the comfort that we receive from God in our troubles moves from me to we. He comforts us in our affliction and our momentary stuff so that we can help others begin to live out to others. 
God's comfort is meant to overflow in the lives of the people in very specific ways. We're helped along the way in our affliction or troubles in specific ways, in our specific trouble, and then somewhere down the line, you're going to run into somebody with the exact same issue, the exact same trouble that you're going to walk through, whether it's dealing with cancer or some other illness, or they have a prodigal child, or their marriage went off the rails, or their job was downsized, or they've gone through a dry spell spiritually, those kind of things. And when that happens, you'll be perfectly suited to bring God's comfort directly to that hurt. Now, he doesn't limit to that. He says, the things you learn there, he says, we can comfort those who are in any kind of affliction. So anything we learn those moments, we can give away to other people. Now, I want you to see what this means, because this is really good news for us. What this means is that your pain, your struggle, your mess is never meaningless. It is never wasted that a sovereign God somehow working in the middle of our dealing with the brokenness and mess of the world and the flesh and all the stuff that we go with is working in the middle of that, not only to shape you and make you and me more like Jesus, but also to prepare you to make a difference for somebody else. Because understand this, gospel comfort always comes to you on the way to somebody else. It comes to you on the way to somebody else. It flows right through you. So if I'm going to give comfort to other people who are in a mess, it begins, first of all, by my consistently remembering how good the Lord has been to me. How good the Lord has been to bring me through the messes and the pain of my life. This is why sometimes it's great to journal, because you can go back and look and see what God was doing at a certain point. So you rejoice again in the help or the encouragement or the healing or the freedom or the peace or the truth or the hope that he brought to you in that moment. So I want to keep my heart full, reminding myself of how God has comforted and helped me because there's going to come a moment as we're going to see where I'm going to need to tip that over and spill that out to somebody else. And let them begin to see that. So it begins, I'm going to comfort others better. It begins by rejoicing in my own experience of God's, of God's comfort. But then also notice cover one another better when we focus with compassion on others. Now we're back in chapter 13. Put back over there. Verse 11, he goes on. The next thing is there are four rapid-fire shorthand directives. Aim for restoration, comfort one another. Um, uh, you're going to uh, give support to uh, one another. You're going to uh, you're gonna live in peace. You're going to do all those kind of things. And so all of those things have to do with what's going on in the life of another person. Comfort requires that I get inside the skin of somebody else, that I see and understand the pain and suffering and hurt as they're experiencing it. That's what we call compassion, and it's very Jesus-like. We see this a lot in Jesus' life. Watch this. It says that when, when Jesus had come, he saw the crowd, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick another time when they came. Another time, Jesus said, I had compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. Another time, when the Lord saw a grieving mother, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. 
Now, in all those situations, Jesus saw what was outside, what was the presenting issue, but he also looked and saw what was inside. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were wandering. They were grieving. Because he was specifically engaged with them, he was able to specifically comfort. Now, what Paul does here is he gives four specific directives. This talks about how are we going to bring comfort to each other? How are we going to do that? Well, the first thing he says is aim for restoration. Now, the word restoration is interesting. It's the Greek word katarkizo, which means to mend or repair. It's the word they would use for a doctor who was setting a broken, a broken bone. Uh, and carries the idea of making it complete. So, so when there's a broken bone or a severe sprain, many times a doctor will apply a splint. Now, what's a splint do? A splint holds in place the injured part steady for a time so that the healing can be completed. So to knit things back together. So the idea here is that we provide support in the broken places of people's lives. Comfort can be a splint to a broken or weakened part of someone else's life. That you come along beside them in the place where they're most vulnerable and you're with them with presence. You're with them with help. You're with them along the way. Holding that together so God can do His work. And like that, He says, I want you to comfort one another. I want you to come alongside the word there, parakaleo, to come alongside to console. Now, that's the same root word that describes the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another helper or comforter to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Now, catch this. He dwells with you and will be in you. Will be in you. Now, the Holy Spirit is God Himself who takes up residence inside every believer, every person in a relationship with God through, through Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside. Now, He has a job. His job is to make much of Jesus and to spur on the life of Jesus. As we already saw, Jesus' life of compassion tips him in the lives of the broken. It just makes sense that the Holy Spirit in the heart of a believer is likely to do the exact same thing. How do you know this? You're going to get promptings. You're going to get nudges from the Holy Spirit toward another person. You're going to notice something in their eye, something in their tone of voice, something you know about the experience they're walking through. It's going to tip you toward them in that direction. You're going to see the burden of their soul. And what you do is you come alongside them, and here's what happens. You add your strength. You get up under that burden with them, and you add your strength to hold that burden up for them. You, now, you're not doing it by yourself. You're doing a part of it. You're holding that burden up with them so they're not holding it by themselves. You're sharing the burden. Nobody's meant to walk through troubles by themselves. It's not the way God designed His family to work. We saw this in verse 15 12 last week, where it says the members have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If one member suffers, all suffer together. So we get up under and support that together. So we support in the broken places. We share the burden. And then he says, agree uh, with 
one another. Now, agree here doesn't mean there's a uniformity of, of thought or even speech. You already there's a lot of diversity in the body. The better expression here is be like-minded or be of the same mind to affirm truth. Now, what are we like-minded about? We're like-minded about the truth of the Scriptures, and specifically the gospel of Jesus. Now, here's what happens. Now, this happens to me, and I'm quite sure it happens to others as well. When I'm in a, a season of mess or struggle or trouble or suffering, I can get so consumed with that thing, so consumed and distracted by it, so consumed with trying to fix it, that I tend to forget the gospel I say I believe. And so what happens is, in comforting, what a comfort to have a brother or sister come alongside me and humbly, uncondemningly affirm the gospel and say, remember, this is what we've agreed we believe. Remember, this is what is true. Now, now listen, don't limit yourself to, to these, these shallow, cast-off stuff that only fits on coffee cups. Okay? Don't limit yourself to that. Some of you throw those things off way too easily. I'm just going to tell you, there are some times when you're dealing with somebody who's just crushed and life has taken them out. And when a Christian comes along and says to them, oh, it'll all work out in the end. Oh, don't worry, God works all things together for good. And that may be true, but there's a point at which that heart won't receive that as comfort. What they really want to do is punch you in the throat. Because they're not ready to hear that yet. And already hear where that is. Remember, the whole Bible is one story inside of them. Joe says every line whispers his name. You got a lot to pick from. So you go back and look, and you see what's Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Caleb and Ruth and David and Esther and Isaiah and Peter and, and, Bar- and, and, and Bartholomew and Barnabas and all the Marys. You could tell those stories and those truths. So you go back and come alongside that person, and you remind them, oh, remember, he's with the sea so I can walk right through it. That wasn't made up, that actually happened. That's the way God worked for his people. And we look at all those truths of Scripture, and we remind ourselves of this great thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So many promises to say they're fulfilled in Jesus. Now, listen, since all pain that we deal with in this world is in, to some degree because of the brokenness of sin, here's what we can remind each other there's a bloody cross that ends the war with God. There's a bloody cross that ends with a nail scarred foot stomping on the head of that snake Satan. There's a nail-scarred cross and a bloody cross that sets us free from condemnation and assures us of forgiveness and writes our name on the adoption papers that confirms that you are a son or a daughter of God with access to all he is and all he has. And sometimes a brother or sister just needs to be reminded you belong to Jesus. You're his. You have his heart. We remind you there's an empty tomb that shouts, death can't keep its hold on you. Love never fails. Hope never disappoints. God always wins. Sunrise always comes because Jesus rose again. So you see, we remind each other of that because we can't so easily forget. So we speak that truth together. And he says, live in peace. We know how that works. So we're pains because of relational tension. It affects all of us. We're connected. 
supposed to sit back and watch a cage fight. We'll sit back and be a corner person, a corner man or woman. We don't just toss more gas on the fire. We come as peacemakers. We talked about that a lot. And all these things, says when you do that, the God of love and peace will be with you. These things demonstrate and make visible the very character of God. So we come and we support the broken places. And we carry the burden. We speak the truth of the gospel. And that's how we begin to bring that Comfort. Now, and when, we, when we do that, uh, it, it happens in a particular way, a unique way every time there's a story that is there. Let me tell you one. Let me tell you mine. Uh, what I found through the years, every time I'm supposed to preach and, and whatever schedule we're on, whether wherever we are, it's been this way for years. About two or three weeks before I'm to preach a certain passage, the Lord will enable me to live the truth of that passage. I get to live that out. This morning we're preaching on comfort. Three weeks ago, yesterday, five o'clock in the morning, I had to call EMS, take my wife to the hospital. Paula had some severe internal bleeding we didn't know about. She arrived in critical condition. She was in the ICU for five days and graduates, so here we are 23 days later, and she's just now in rehab and continuing to, to recover there. But let me tell you what's happened to us in the middle of this. This happened at 5 o'clock or so on a Saturday, so that meant that Pastor Tyler, who's our, our college and young adult pastor, had to step in because I was on for the next morning to preach in the chapel worship service. He stepped in to take my turn on a day's notice. Sandy and Harvey Wright, church members who live across the street from us, again to help us take care of our Labradoodle Ellie in the mornings to get her in and all this heat. And several times I get a text message or a call from Sandy as I was carrying head home to sleep at 7 30, 8 o'clock. She said, Hey, stop by the house. Your dinner is ready. And I have a home cooked meal instead of something I go into the microwave. John and Sherry Porter, members who live a couple blocks the other direction, they would take care of Ellie in the evenings and they, they watered our flowers on the porch. Todd White brought me lunch from Wendy's one day and we sat and just talked a little bit. Chad Groff brought me lunch from Gris and he and Troy came and we just sat and talked a bit. Deacons and the women of care were faithful to visit and pray with us every single day. My staff, family picked up spots where I had to step out. Don Brown, Brian Macy, or doctors or members here and their help and their perspective was, was invaluable at certain points along the way. There was a small group. Joe Loney and some other guys came and mowed our yard and trimmed up our yard. You have to worry about that. Audrey Judd works in the nutrition department of the hospital and she walked by one day and saw me sitting in, in Subway again. <laughs> that day 15. And she went and got a little car and they me to go and have a meal at the cafeteria there and different sort of things. So, simple thing. We got cards and email and posts on Facebook and hundreds of unseen prayers. When I was here for Flip the other night, the final night, some people, one after another, kept me saying, pray for you, we've been praying for you. House Paul, we've been praying for you over and over again. And so all along the way, in this crisis moment of ours, what we have sensed from the body is 
They're supporting and holding us firm in our vulnerable place. They've got up underneath that burden and lifted it with us. And over and over again, they've spoken the truth of the gospel to our hearts. And we have been comforted. I've never, ever been loved quite that way. And we are so grateful because it's remarkable. What it, and here's the thing. My story's not weird here. It happens all the time. It happens all the time in all different kinds of ways, in all different kinds of levels. We come with compassion. Now, why, why do we do that? Why? Because we're, we're family, right? So, so you look at, at verse 13 and 12 and 13. It's reminding us that when we're covered better together, when we lead with affection for others, Verse 12 and 13 strikes a little odd. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, that's still a very practiced Middle Eastern form of greeting. In our Western mindset, more like a firm handshake, I guess. In the South, we have some similar language. My my good friend Alan called me a couple weeks ago. Alan, we haven't seen each other in a number of years, but we shared a special season. We were serving a church in Atlanta a few years ago. We we caught about our kids and what's going on in our lives. And, and, And as we hung up, I said, hey, Give Lisa a hug for us. He said, yeah, you do the same for Paula. That's kind of the idea here. It's just an expression of sheer affection for another person. It's personal fondness because we recognize that we're, we're family. We're not just faces in a pew or names on a list. We're family. We're reflecting the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, look, I, a new command I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Comforting others is not a mere duty that we perform as an expression of our organizational loyalty to the organization called Living Hope. No. Comforting one another is a privilege we embrace as an expression of our family love. Family share the same name. The same blood in their veins, and they share a history, and so they value each other. They give grace to each other. This is different than maybe work relationships. I mean, there's some people at work, and they, they put a little distance between you and them. You know, they're just odd. Their personality is a little bit off. But you come to your family at Thanksgiving, and you're around the table. And some people there around that gathering, they're a little odd. Their personality is just a little off. And what do you say? Oh, yeah, that's Uncle Gary. That's just the way he is. He's family. We're family. We don't comfort each other because somebody deserves it or because we either like them or have a lot in common. We comfort each other because we're family. We value them. We love them no matter what. And so there's compassion. There's and there's remembering. But this seems so big. There's so many needs and so much brokenness here. So much difficulty along the way. And Paul ends with this benediction that's really interesting. Verse 14, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and those who the Holy Spirit be with you all. What's not there? It's not a command of things to do. It's simply a blessing. It goes around the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's all that God is. Talks about generosity. All, all these things require another person to receive them, right? Grace, the undeserved favor of Jesus. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Love of God, this ferocious sacrificial passion of God, 
fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this koinonia, life together with God. He said, I want all that to be with you. I want to be present with y'all. Present with all y'all. I want you to have all of that. This is an invitation to the ongoing heart of God for people. Understand, we can't produce comfort like this on our own. We can't do it. The one way to live this is for the fullness of God to be in us and through us. So when we come to Christ, His life moves into us and transforms us and takes over. It's really all we have to give. And He is the source of all comfort. Remember back in chapter when we read this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's behind the scenes. It's only by His strength and His ability that we can turn messes into miracles or hurt into hope or mourning into dancing. And how's he going to do that with all the brokers of the world? How's he intend to do that? He's going to do that through you. And you. And you. And you. And you. He's going to do it through you. Now listen to this. Another place in the second is Paul describes the same idea. He says this. Now we have this treasure in clay jars. This treasure is the, the gospel the life of God, His grace, His love, all of that. We have this treasure in clay jars. That's our fragile bodies that we deal with our own stuff. So that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. He's the source. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted but not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed because of His life. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body, so the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that Jesus' life may be displayed in our mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. I'm walking through the mess and the brokenness of the world and trusting Him, and I'm doing it. Remember, my comfort's coming on the way to you. Now, He says, we have this treasure in these fragile bodies. So if you this treasure is in you. He says it's like a clay jar. Now listen, a jar is meant to be turned over so what's inside can get out. What's inside to get out? So it's salvation. This life of God is our blessing. And there's a whole world of hurt, even right here in this family of faith, where you can pour it out. So we look for the hurting and just tip yourself over and watch God's life spill out. And here's the thing God's life never, ever runs dry. His hope, His love, His strength, His health never, ever runs out. It's true. Life is pain. Honest. Everybody hurts in some way. Maybe you can't tell from looking on the outside, looking at faces, who has a need, who needs God's comfort. But my guess is that somewhere along the way this morning, the Holy Spirit has been bringing the face of some brother or sister to the eyes of your heart. You may not know the whole story, but I will tell you, if the Holy Spirit has prompted you, He intends action from you. He intends it because it's not just a special category of people who are comforters. 
You know, it's comfort because we say we have deacons who care. We have we have a counseling center. That's great. But in the body, all of us are comforters. So that one that's come to your mind, why don't you give them a call? Go have coffee. Listen close. Try to get inside their skin and see what's going on. See if there's some way for you to bring some support. See if there's some way for you to get up under and lift that burden. See if there's some reality of the gospel they've forgotten and need to hear from you. Pour out the comfort you have received and then rejoice. See God's love, God's healing, and God's wholeness come into your life through you. Let's stand together. So this morning, as you thought about this, maybe for you, this is a place where maybe you need to recognize before the Lord the fact of your own struggle and brokenness and need for all the gospel is. It's maybe a moment you just want to come and pray and say, Lord, help me. I need all you are into all that's broken in me. Maybe there's that one person the Lord's brought to your mind. Maybe it's one you want to come and kneel here and pray for them. Maybe if they're in this room, you want to go get them and take them by the hand. Y'all come down here and let them hear you pray over them these realities so they know physically there's somebody here who sees is coming along to help them. Maybe. Or to be. Maybe you're here this morning and your life is in a turmoil you've never for yourself met the God of peace and wholeness. Today's your day to turn from sin trust Christ alone and put all those broken pieces back together again. He'll do it. I promise you. He's done it over and over again. So Lord, today, as we've heard your word, we've sung, and we've got this worship service, we'll remind ourselves over and over again. Would you help us in these moments to be responsive to the problem of your spirit? Do your work as we worship together. In Jesus' name.